0: Welcome to mind, body, spirit, food. I'm your host, Nikki Sizemore. And in this podcast, we'll explore the rituals, traditions and cultural influences around food and how they connect us to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, the earth and our communities. This is a space that's dedicated to bringing more presence, ease and joy into the process of feeding ourselves. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're hungry because I have a fun and inspiring conversation for you today with Ellie Krieger, who's a New York Times bestselling and two-time James Beard Foundation award-winning author of seven cookbooks. She's also well-known for her Food Network show, Healthy Appetite, and her public television series, Ellie's Real Good Food. Ellie shares how she developed her love for food growing up in New York City and why she decided to become a registered dietitian nutritionist. She opens up about her own struggles with food and body image as a kid and young adult and how she found balance and freedom around food. We discuss the term healthy, which can be a confusing and even problematic word in many ways, but Ellie offers so much clarity around how healthy, quote unquote, is so contextual. She shares what healthy means to her and why she uses that word. And we have some fun. Ellie and I share our favorite flavor-packed but low-effort ways that you can use summer produce. We cover tomatoes, peppers, zucchini, herbs, corn, and more. And you're going to leave with easy recipe ideas and tons of inspiration. You're probably going to leave a little hungry as well. Definitely save this episode to come back to as we get further into the summer, and I've included links in the show notes to many of the recipes that we discuss. Okay, my friends, I hope you enjoy. Let's dive in. Hi, Ellie. It's so great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Nikki. I love talking to you. It is such a joy, and I just want to dive right in because we have a lot to cover so I'm going to start by asking you the first question that I ask all of my guests and that is what is your cultural upbringing and how has that influenced your relationship to food. So I guess my cultural upbringing is New York City.
1: <laughs> New York City kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I really feel like just growing up here in New York. I grew up in Queens in a Jewish mm-hmm. family but like not necessarily eating a lot of like well I mean Bagels, lox, and cream cheese is sort of like definitely the food of my people. (laughs) So, yes, I did eat like New York Jewish food, but really grew up with a family that like loved to explore food in general. Mm. And growing up in Queens where there are so many different cultures, I mean, I feel like that so influenced me and who I am as a food person because I grew up going to Greek church festivals where I remember distinctly having my first Bonacopita. I remember the moment. It was like this revelation. I grew up going to Dominican restaurants and having arroz con pollo there and going to Chinatown. And so I really feel like New York shaped me Mm -hmm. as a food person. And it definitely came through the lens of this like
0: very food-loving family. I love that. You know, it's so funny. I grew up in the Midwest in Illinois, and I visited New York for the first time when I was 18. And I felt like I was in a different country. I remember that so vividly walking down the street and just hearing all of these different languages and all of these different smells and foods and... It was very exciting for me growing up and around that time, that's kind of when I've always loved food, but then I finally traveled and travel for me is really what kind of opened the doors to all of this. So how lucky were you to live in that city and have all of that, you know, have access to all of that? That's so fabulous.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. And my dad worked in East Harlem and he would bring home a food like every week, try this. And he'd bring home at the time. It wasn't something you commonly got in like a regular supermarket. So he'd bring home like mangoes and avocados, which sounds so ordinary now. But really, at the time, it wasn't common in a typical American grocery store. And then also, I remember him buying sugar cane
0: and I would go to school and just like chew on sugar cane, <laughs> that's cool. That's amazing. Yeah, it was. I really love that. Cool. So your parents were really encouraging you to try new things. It sounds like, which is so lovely. Oh, absolutely. They definitely did, and I was all for it too. I didn't fight it one bit. Let's segue then. How did you come to do what you do? It sounds like you always had a passion for food. What was that path like for you? I love quoting my mom on this because it's just one sentence that like
1: completely. Nails me. She says, if you becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, that sort of, I was born loving food. Mm-hmm. I was born like interested in it and fascinated mm-hmm. by it. And I actually had like kind of an unhealthy relationship with it as a young person, I would mm-hmm. say. And I had a terrible body image, too, which is like a whole other thing. So sad when I look back on it. Yeah. And unnecessary. <laughs> But I got into nutrition because I was fascinated by food. And in my teens, I started getting into this, like, just eating healthier and getting more fit and being more active. And I think in a real healthy way with the help of my mom. But I studied nutrition because I was interested in healthy food and healthy approaches to food. But I was pre-med in college. And I majored in nutrition because it covered all of the pre-med requirements. Oh,
0: interesting. And then
1: as I was studying nutrition, I was like, wow, I I didn't realize the depth and breadth of the field at the time when you're 18 years old, who knows? Yeah. And then when I got that insight, I was like, whoa, this is really what I want to do. And then always concurrently cooking and interested in food. And even in my undergrad nutrition degree, we had a food lab, you know, and I just loved That aspect of it, learning the chemistry of cooking, learning about really interpreting it as how to be in the kitchen, how to create beautiful food. And to me, that's the most actionable part of being Mm. a nutritionist is like helping people create amazing food that inspires them and
0: compels them. So you mentioned an unhealthy relationship with food, an unhealthy body image. And I just want to circle back to that if you're willing to talk about it a little bit, because I think so many of us resonate with that. And I'm curious, where did you find healing with that? Or was that just naturally kind of close itself up? Or was that something that you had to work on? Or what was the story there? Oh, I had to work on it. And then I also recognize that I have an instinctive
1: tendency to find a balance. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I have this gift. I'm grateful for it. And I do cultivate that, I suppose, but I also think there's something just in me that's like, whoa, this is dumb. You're <laughs> Don't very do that grounded. To yourself. Yeah, yeah. You're very grounded. Yeah. So, and I think that that's just me. So, yeah, I was told I had to stop eating so much, you know, when I was mm. little and I was overweight and the doctor's like, oh, she has to lose weight. You know, it was like mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And everyone loved feeding me because I was so interested in food and my whole family really loved feeding me. And I could eat like a whole chicken when I was three years old. But I also was not active. I didn't feel comfortable in my body. I remember I had a picture dictionary and there was an elephant in the picture and I wrote on it in harsh pencil, Ellie. Mm-hmm. And I just ha- thought I was like, so I just didn't feel comfortable in my body in part because of what I was told, but in part because it was true. Like I was relying on food for entertainment, for comfort, for all the things and I wasn't really active. And then I just decided one day, I remember in the shower, I couldn't see my feet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to change this. I was like, probably about 12 or 13. And then my mom helped me to start eating more vegetables and not snacking as much. I mean, a lot of it was just like constantly snacking and eating. And then I just stopped doing that, made these minor changes and started being more active and it was remarkable how, you know, my body came to this healthier place naturally, but I tried. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything unhealthy, but then it definitely spiraled. Then I started in modeling. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know about this, my summer job. <laughs> mm-hmm. I meant it to be a summer job. My freshman year of high school, I started modeling. Wow. And started like, really pounding the pavement, trying to get an agency. I finally got some work. And then I wound up taking a year off from school and going around to Italy and Japan. I spent my 19th birthday in Tokyo modeling. It was crazy. But once I got into that world, Mm. I started getting a little more of this like disordered eating behavior. Sure. But it was interesting because I went back to school and then I was modeling just in the summers on winter breaks. And I would make enough at that time just working then to pay all my living expenses in college. It was pretty amazing. Wow. And then I wound up paying for my master's degree too. Mm. But anyway, I started seeing very clearly how messed up these behaviors were as I saw them in other model friends of mine. Okay. And then as I was studying nutrition, I was like, wow, I really started to understand what my body needed to thrive from mm. a nutritional point of view. And that really helped me come to a place of balance. So it was definitely a journey, a little bit like overeating, then under eating and becoming
0: Mm.
1: almost overly controlling. And then to this place where it's opening up. And I feel like I've learned how to love food in a healthy way. Mm. And it is my joy in this world to be able to help other people do that.
0: Yeah, I can feel that from you. And that's certainly one of my missions as well is to find the freedom around food and find that sense of gratitude and joy that comes from feeding ourselves. And, you know, that certainly is a message that is very clear within the work you do. I do not have a nutritionist background at all. It's very, it's interesting because that, to me, feels very brainy in some ways. And you do a great job of melding the two things. Whereas I come from, you know, I went to culinary school. And for me, it was more maybe physical, intuitive, emotional. How do you merge those two things for yourself? That kind of brain, because you certainly have all of the knowledge, like that brain knowledge (laughs) about (laughs) food. Or maybe it doesn't influence as much the recipes you develop or does it? Oh, definitely does. So I love science.
1: I'm exercising my creative muscle and I love that part of it, my writing, my recipe developing, being physical with the food and sensual, the sensual aspect of food is mm-hmm. you do such an amazing job and also the emotional part. Mm-hmm. I mean, it means something to me. So all of that comes into play also with a sense of what is the science saying for real? Mm. What's the BS? There is so much out there in terms of nutrition and what people say is healthy and what people say is the right thing. So understanding the science and reading the studies and analyzing really what the science is saying Mm -hmm. and then incorporating that into my food, I definitely do that also. Mm -hmm. So I love all of the aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is, I think, you know, food is a science and nutrition is Nutrition, nutrients are biochemicals, right? Mm -hmm. But you can understand nutrition and eat healthy without understanding all that stuff. Yeah. But it helps to understand that stuff in some way because you understand some other underlying things. You know, people have been eating healthy and well and thriving in cultures for thousands and thousands of years without knowing anything about biochemistry. Yeah, But in some way, it does help inform some of the more, you know, pressing issues around nutrition that we're faced with.
0: Have there been any messages or any beliefs that you held going into school, and now it's some years later, that have changed for you or that have surprised you as the science has evolved?
1: Well, I guess what surprises me or never ceases to surprise me is how marketing can bastardize the Mm. most well-intended public health messages.
0: Yeah, amen. (laughs) So
1: when I was in school, which was in the late 80s, right? It was all about like, we really honestly thought fat was what was causing problems, fat Mm -hmm. in general. I mean, so the science thought that. (laughs) But then started saying like, okay, eat more foods that are naturally lower in fat. So fruits and vegetables, essentially whole grains and things like that. No one was ever saying, eat a sleeve of fat-free cookies. Mm
0: -hmm. No
1: health professionals were saying that, but that's how it got interpreted. right? So yes, the science changed. And I think being willing to change is not a weakness. I think a lot of people become very dogmatic and stop being willing to change. So I feel like always being ready to change, not necessarily on a dime, but open-mindedly seeing how the science evolves over a period of time and being willing to say, oh, based on this, I think, I'm going to change yeah. my recommendation. And a lot of people don't do that because they're caught up in their dogma. Yeah. And then also, so much of everything just seems to be able to be turned into some type of cookie or chip. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not really
0: the message, though. And I do love cookies and I do love chips. Yeah. But nonetheless, <laughs> well, it's like the power that food marketers have because I was 18 during those low fat years and that 100% influenced my relationship to my body because fat was perceived as bad. And fat in and of itself is not bad. It's a neutral food. But the way that it was being presented within the media, within magazines, I was terrified of fat. And there's something very wrong with that. And even like what you're saying, the power that food marketers have, even within their packaging, just kind of boggles my mind because we do live in a culture without a strong culinary heritage. I think there are pockets of that. We all have our own background, but I think overall in America, we're not really taught these things. We have to learn them from ourselves. And so I think it's very easy to get influenced by food marketers and, you know, commercials and so many different, by the system of patriarchy. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So it is a kind of a breath of fresh air to have voices like yours that are pragmatic, that are willing to learn and willing to change and that really celebrate food. I mean, truly celebrate food. Okay, so the word healthy for me, I've had a very interesting relationship with the word healthy because I believe that what's healthy for my body is going to be different than what's healthy for another body. You know, for instance... Raw food diet might be very healthy for one person, but I know for me, it is not. So while I think healthy is very individual, there are certainly overarching truths to the term health. How do you define the word healthy?
1: I love this question. And I love that you're asking this question because I actually was obsessing over this question not too long ago, so much to the point that I pitched a talk at the International Association of Culinary Professionals meeting, What is Healthy? And Mm. it was a panel discussion that it wound up being. And I really looked in depth at what does this even mean to me? What does this word mean? Is it meaningless? What does it mean to me? And what does it mean on a larger scale? So to your point, I started off my talk showing a picture of broccoli and saying how many people think this is healthy?" And everyone raised their hand, of course, it's broccoli. And I said, well, actually, this is very unhealthy for my uncle who has kidney disease. And he has Mm. to avoid potassium because of his kidney function, lack Mm. of kidney function. Mm. And so he can't really eat much broccoli. It's very unhealthy for him. Then I showed a picture of a piece of cake. How many people think this is healthy? Nobody raised their hand. It's a piece of cake, sugary frosting. And I said, actually, when I was in private practice as a dietitian, I worked with so many people that I encouraged to eat a piece of cake. It was the healthiest thing they could do is eat a piece of cake and know that they weren't going to turn into a monster. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to ruin their day. It wasn't going to ruin their life. It wasn't going to mess anything up. They could just eat a piece of cake, enjoy it and move on. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes is the healthiest thing you can do. So that said, I think the important thing is whenever we're talking about a food that is healthy, we have to think about it in context. Mm. So context is key. Whenever you talk about any food, is it healthy or not? You have to think in what context and also instead of what? Mm. So those two things, what context are we talking about this? So when we're talking in general to the public in general, so when we're talking to you, Nikki, like one thing is going to be healthy. If, let's say we're talking about individual food. hmm. It's going to be in the context of your diet and your history and your relationship with food and your health needs. If we're talking to the public, what is healthy for people? Mm. We're assuming a certain context, right? We're assuming a context of maybe the typical American diet. We're assuming the context of a generally balanced diet where the person, let's say, isn't eating kale all day long. And then... (laughs) Is kale good for that person? No, that person needs anything except kale. You know, <laughs> So when we talk about healthy in general, when I say my recipe is healthy, what do I mean by that? Mm. I mean, in the context of maybe a typical American diet or a relatively balanced diet, you know, mm-hmm. basically healthful diet, this recipe or this this diet contains foods that are primarily promoting health. Mm. promoting our body's healing, promoting our body's nutrient intake. So they're nutrient dense, they're fiber rich, they are protein adequate, they are full of good fats, and maybe even looking at foods that have more nutrients that people are mostly missing, again, in the context of the general population Mm. of our country. Mm. So I think one has to remember when they're saying something's healthy that they're assuming a certain base And what is it instead of? So if you say, oh, is turkey breast healthy from a deli? Mm -hmm. Well, instead of what? Mm. So is it instead of maybe a homemade hummus? No, it's not as healthy as that. If you're going to eat that instead of that, I'd say, no, pick the hummus. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to eat that instead of like a bacon, some type of very highly processed red meat thing, or if you're going to eat that instead of chips and a blue juice. (laughs) Mm hmm. Then yes. So I think
0: those are the two things. And it's a long answer wow, to a short question. No, it's a great answer and one that we don't talk about enough that really I love that. I mean, healthy comes down to context. It really, truly does. And that just clarifies everything. And it also when we see these healthy claims, which, you know, we all use that term, we can then know, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy for me. And we can take ownership of that. Right.
1: But I also think that if we say, okay, well, then any context applies, that renders the word meaningless Mm. in a general population context. So I do think it's not a meaningless word. Mm -hmm. I do think that for me, the word healthy comes with a very specific meaning. It's mostly foods that are plant-based, nutrient-rich, fiber-rich, protein-rich, naturally nutrient-rich, minimally processed foods that have nutrients that we know to be promoting of health and preventing disease. I love it. So I don't think it is meaningless. I don't think you can say like, oh, that cake is healthy for me. Yes, you can say that. But can you call the cake healthy in general? I say probably pick a different
0: word. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Hi there. I just wanted to pop in really quickly and let you know that an easy way that you can support this work is to sign up for the mind, body, spirit food newsletter. In the weekly newsletter, you'll get brand new recipes each week, along with my thoughts, ideas, and practical tips for how to bring more ease and joy and freedom into the kitchen. The newsletter is free. Although if you become a paid subscriber for just a couple bucks a month, you'll have access to the full recipe archive along with Q and A's weekly threads and other fun perks. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. You can share the newsletter with your friends or even give a gift subscription. I've popped a link into the show notes where you can sign up. Thank you all for listening. And now back to the show. I would love to talk about summer cooking. And speaking of the term healthy, I mean, this for me, the summer we are lucky enough to have a garden. We have so much produce at our fingertips. We're part of a CSA farmer's market. I think we have more access this time of year to fresh, healthy food than perhaps any other time of year, at least here in the Northeast. So we're going to play a little game and I'm going to call out a food. And I would love for us to share some simple, delicious, kind of easy things that we can do with this vegetable this time of year, because I think come summer, we're all kind of like, okay, I have a thousand zucchinis. What am I going to (laughs) do?
1: So does that sound good? Sounds great. And I'm so
0: jealous about your garden. My goodness. That's awesome. (laughs) You need to come visit. (laughs) All right. So we're going to start with, it's actually a fruit, as we know, tomatoes. We have to start with tomatoes because we can't think about summer without tomatoes. So what are some of your favorite things to do with tomatoes? Oh my gosh. I have the best memories. Well,
1: first of all, I have to go to this fruit and vegetable thing with tomatoes because it's botanically a fruit, but so are so many other quote-unquote vegetables, Mm -hmm. like cucumbers are a fruit. So, like nutritionally and culinarily speaking, a tomato is a vegetable. And if anyone wants to email me about that, (laughs) I'm happy to give you my source. (laughs) But botanically is a fruit, like so many other vegetables. So so there. See, this is where the brain part comes in because I overthink all of this stuff. So, (laughs) But I love a tomato just with olive oil and like flaky salt. I'm so happy. Like, do I need more than that? No. 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 Never. But then I did exactly. They're just so great, and then I make gazpacho pretty much every week in the summer once tomatoes come into my farmers market, which is actually more toward the later part okay. of summer. Mm-hmm. And then I'm all about the gazpacho. Like literally, it's as easy as a smoothie,
0: and then it's just the most delicious so thing. Oh, Delicious. I would say our go-to once we've had our fill of the tomatoes with the olive oil and the sea salt, <laughs> which we we go big on for a while. But for me. Either a simple tomato sandwich with mayonnaise and basil and sea salt and olive oil or panzanella. We do a version of panzanella almost weekly. And in fact, I do a panzanella salad, but then I do an inverted stuffed tomato where the panzanella is inside the tomato. But anything where the bread can soak up that juice is just, yeah. Oh, I
1: love, love, love that. The idea of the inverted is great. And I did a panzanella for the Washington Post which had white beans in it. And then it made it like a full Ooh. meal, more of a complete meal yes. kind of thing. Yes, yes. And it, and it just worked so beautifully. So mm, I, love, I that. love Pansanella too. I'm I'm down with that. <laughs> I love it. Okay, what about summer squash and zucchini? Well, first of all, I love to grill zucchini and just like grill up a bunch of it and have it just to nibble on or to put in salads mm. or whatever. But I love to roll it. And inside, I put just like a little dollop of like an herbed goat cheese, or it could be an herbed feta cheese, a few like basil leaves, Mm. and like kind of that's it, maybe some lemon zest and just kind of roll it up and it becomes these adorable little like finger food things. Do you do that with the grilled zucchini? You wrap
0: it around? Oh, that sounds so good. Yeah,
1: it's really a yummy one.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I do
1: that. It's like my go-to for sort of summer gatherings. To make it for a lot of people, it takes a
0: minute, but... I just watch my TV shows while I do it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that. That reminded me that we do a shaved zucchini salad often because we grow. I mean, first of all, I have to talk about zucchini flowers because having a garden, that's one of probably my most favorite thing because it always it just feels like something you can't it's hard to buy. I mean, I know if you live in the city, so I know at the green markets they sell zucchini flowers, but it's hard to buy at a grocery store. But we'll stuff them with ricotta or goat cheese and pan fry them and just serve them with sea salt and a spritz of lemon juice. And they're just one of my favorite things in the world. But I also I'll just shave zucchini on a vegetable peeler. You kind of want to work around the seeds around that core and then toss that with really good olive oil and a bunch of herbs and lemon juice and just like a really fresh, easy salad. You don't need a recipe for... And then I guess the last one, this is the dish that made my oldest daughter the vegetable she hates more than any other vegetable is zucchini, but I'll stuff them. I kind of hollow them out and stuff them with ricotta and cheese and herbs and it tastes like pizza. So that's the thing that got her to love zucchini.
1: Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) I actually have a recipe. I think it was the number one search recipe on the Food Network site actually one year, which kind of blows my mind. But it's literally, it's just like rounds of zucchini and then you just kind of, dip them in like flour, egg, bread, panko seasoned, mm-hmm. and then just bake them Ooh. until they're crispy. Yeah. And oh, and Parmesan. So very parmesan
0: And then just bake them and they're so good. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And by the way, we'll try to find some of these recipes and link to them so that people can go, can go find them. But a lot of these things we're talking about, you really don't need a recipe for. You can just, I talk about intuitive cooking a lot. You can just use your intuition and, and, play. Okay, let's move on to eggplant, one of my favorite vegetables. So I actually thought I was terrible
1: at cooking eggplant at one point until Mm. I like learned how to cook it. Mm. So I do feel like eggplant takes some skill, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think I was undercooking it a lot Mm -hmm. in the past, you know, not recently, but in my 20s when I was playing with eggplant, it would often come out like chewy or something. (laughs) But my favorite thing to do is to take it and put it on the grill, Actually, I live in New York City. I don't have a grill. <laughs> so that would be my favorite thing to do if I had a grill. But since I don't, I put it right on the burner of my gas burner. Oh, and I just no. turn it and cook it on my burner mm. until it chars all around and collapses. And you could oh, do this in wow. the oven, too. And then just let it cool. And then open it up and just scrape out the inside and make like a beautiful Eggplant salad. So you can put like tahini and lemon and herbs and salt, or you could do it not tahini. You can just do like olive oil, lemon juice, some chopped tomatoes. Uh, I'm so good. That
0: sounds amazing. I completely agree with you that cooking eggplant, there's like a trick to it. And so we grill it. I think that's my favorite way to cook it. But one little trick for all of you listeners out there is when you grill the rounds, Grill them until you get those nice grill marks on each side and then stack them on a sheet tray and cover them with foil because that's going to allow them to continue cooking. That stacking is going to steam them and they'll continue cooking. But that took me some time to, you know, get to know. And then they're all silky in the middle. And there's a salad I make where I top them with shaved fennel and arugula and goat cheese. Or another thing I love to do with them is just drizzle them with tahini and pomegranate molasses, which is mm. sweet and tart. So it's very we'll just do it you know especially with a mediterranean spread that's one of my favorite ways to serve
1: you are so inspiring i love your <laughs> ideas so <Likewise>. much <laughs> i'm definitely doing that stacking that's so smart but also i just recently did a thing you don't need to salt eggplant before you oh, grill it it I'm does so not glad matter
0: you are saying this <laughs> thank you okay so especially coming from you i know you've done the research <laughs> <laughs> on particularly on grilling eggplant So
1: it may work if you're frying it, it may Mm. help, or maybe other applications, but grilling
0: in particular doesn't make a lick of difference. I love it. Yes, we don't do it. And I'm so glad to have that justification. (laughs) Okay, bell peppers. Bell peppers.
1: Yum. I just love the crunch of bell peppers. Again, I have to go with a roasting because yeah. or grilling because yeah. they're so all these are so good grills and yeah. actually fun to kind of stack. In one of my books, I did a stacked chicken parm, quote unquote parm, mm. where I did like a grilled chicken and then grilled onion, grilled zucchini, grilled pepper. And then some mozzarella on top and then just like let it all melt. It's so good. (laughs) Oh,
0: yum. So simple. Yeah. You get all those textures and all those flavors. And it's so vegetable forward without like being
1: bird food. you know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh gosh, I'm trying to think what else. And then peppers. I'm thinking as peppers more, they're going into my gazpacho.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of really are. It is a little family there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We Well, I'll slow roast them. I'll do peppers and onions and just cook them really low and slow in the oven with olive oil and a little bit of vinegar and maybe even like some raisins, which is a little surprising, but a little bit of sweetness. And then I'll just pack them into jars. And it's the kind of thing that gets better with time in the fridge. And so you can like pile them over toasts or appetizers or even over grilled chicken or grilled fish. And then my daughter, I have to give this one to my little one, Junie, one of her favorite things in the world are stuffed peppers. You bake the peppers until they're kind of soft and then stuff them with like regular old taco meat, like ground taco meat. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Lots of cheese on top. That's awesome. That's awesome. How old is she? She's eight. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cucumbers. I think we got to do cucumbers. You kind of, I feel like gazpacho, like like you said, it is like a family. All of these can go together. Is there anything else you love to do with cucumbers?
1: Yeah, it is. That goes on the gazpacho for sure. Yeah. So I do like to make like a indian style cucumber salad so oh. you just sort of like you salt here i love the salting of cucumber cuz it really draws the water out and then you rinse it after but it makes them taste almost more cucumbery and a little more concentrated mm-hmm. so i do like you can salt them a little bit and then let them drain and then toss it with like yogurt and toasted cumin seed oh. Toasted Yum. cumin seed and salt, and then it's like creamy, and the toasted mm. cumin seed gives it this like beautiful texture and amazing flavor. And yeah, it's almost
0: raita-ish, I guess. Yeah. I love that toasted cumin seed is like the star, like one little switch from a when adding a spice or adding a new herb, and I love that how that can change the whole profile of something you might make all the time. I'm definitely going to try that. Cool. Let's see. I do a chilled cucumber soup that's really simple, kind of like a gazpacho, but with cucumbers. And then honestly, I guess we do quick pickles. I do quick pickles a lot, like really quick pickles for burgers, which my kids love those on burgers. But I have a hard time. The kids will eat them like straight out of the garden. They'll like eat them like an apple. I have a hard time. We grow the really small ones, too. So I have a hard time accruing enough to do anything significant with them. <laughs> yeah,
1: Quick pickles are great, though. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then what about herbs? Oh, my gosh. So I think I put herbs in everything. Mm-hmm. I mean all year round. I'm so herb forward. (laughs) I mean, it's such a great way to like add so much flavor. Well, I always talk about hitting the sweet spot where delicious and healthy meat. So I'm always looking for Mm. where's the big flavor? Mm
0: -hmm. Where's all
1: the flavor that's also in in a good for you way? And herbs is just like exactly in that sweet spot. Gosh, so in the summer, it's like basil and all the tender herbs, right? Always making like some kind of pesto because I always have like random herbs around. So I'm always kind of whipping them up and that makes them last, right? Yes. You whip them up and then if you whir them up together with oil and lemon and maybe some pine nuts, whatever, or any kind of nut. And then you can freeze it. So that's like a year-round thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, I started using carrot tops in a pesto. Mm-hmm. And so I use like carrot tops and basil. So it's fun to do different combinations of different herbs. Yeah. Usually, even if I do a pesto with cilantro, though, I put some basil in it because yeah. it kind of sweetens it. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, just like tearing up some herbs and putting it on your regular sandwich. Mm-hmm. Some mint leaves on a turkey sandwich. Ooh. Those are those little touches. Yeah. That Take no effort, but make a huge difference. So I do love to use mint in like savory food. A lot of people don't tend to think about it like that unless you're from, you know, in Middle Eastern food. It's very often
0: used that way. Yeah, that's funny because what I've been so into recently are like Vietnamese flavors. So I have a chicken salad and it's just got it has whole leaves of mint and basil. And it's kind of like this vibrant light chicken salad and it gets topped with fried shallots. Or fresh summer rolls will do, especially for entertaining, and we'll pack those with those fresh herbs. But like you said, it feels so luxurious because we grow them in pots on our deck, and they're so expensive during the rest of the year. But to be able to go out and just pick whatever herbs I want, it feels so lovely. So for lunch, just like you said, I'll just put them on a sandwich or incorporate them into a salad, and it feels so special even though it's the most simple thing you can do. I always recommend people grow herbs if they can.
1: Totally. And now I'm just thinking, I'm pulling it all together because you can literally take all these grilled vegetables, this grilled zucchini, this grilled peppers, (laughs) these grilled eggplant and throw a bunch of basil and mint and some fresh sliced tomatoes or fresh chopped tomatoes and toss this all together. And you have the most amazing salad right there. (laughs) Some kind of lemon juice maybe or some type of acid. Oh my gosh. You just Sounds named, so good. like,
0: what I love about summer. That's it. <laughs> so good. Are there any other big summer heavy hitters that we didn't cover? Well, corn. <laughs> corn! Oh, we have to talk about corn. Okay, go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, recently
1: I started doing this, like, miso butter on grilled mm. corn. Oh, stop. And it's the umami thing that happens with yeah. corn. And also because... Miso is nice with a little bit of sweet Mm -hmm. to balance because it's Mm. savory and salty. So if you're getting really sweet corn, then it's this gorgeous balance of flavor, of that sweetness with umami savory. So it's really just I mush up some sort of softened butter with Uh miso. A little bit of honey maybe in there or not,
0: depending on your mood. Okay. And then just kind of brush it on the corn before you oh, grill goodness. it. It's so good. Oh, I'm definitely trying that. That's like the miso butter situation is one of my favorite things, but I've never thought to do it with corn. It's amazing. Oh, you know, maybe it's because I grew up in the Midwest, but like a fresh, sweet cob of corn. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I mean, we'll do Mexican style street corn. I have a Mexican style street corn dip. But honestly, when corn season rolls around, I just want a buttered (laughs) cob, lots of salt. But that's one of the best things about summer. It's
1: like you almost don't even... Nature's like doing it for you already. You almost really don't even have to do
0: anything. Yeah. It's It's kind of cool. (laughs) Yeah. And it is just so great that we can keep things so simple in the summer. You know, for us, for me at least, while I love to still cook in the summer and I do a lot of cooking, I also love to be outside. I love to be able to spend time with my family, spend time with my friends and not spend hours slaving over a cooking project. And the the produce of summer just kind of gives us that because it's so great just as it is. Totally. Well, one more question for you. But before we get there, I just want to say thank you. I hope I know everybody listening to this is going to be so hungry after this (laughs) conversation. I'm so inspired. I can't wait to Go get creative in the kitchen. Where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Oh, gosh.
1: So my public television show is now streaming on Passport on the Mm -hmm. streaming app, the public television streaming app. So that's kind of fun. I'm doing a podcast called One Real Good Thing. I hope you'll come on, actually. I would love to. So it's called One Real Good Thing. And I have tons of articles and recipes. I have a Substack newsletter. But it's all can be found on
0: elliekrieger.com. Love it. Yes, if you don't know Ellie's work, please go find it. Her recipes are fabulous. So my last question is just a fun one. It is your last meal on earth. What would it be? Well, of course, I've thought about this too. (laughs) 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 I am so pathetic. I've actually
1: decided this a while ago, and I was wondering why, but it's all like New England seaside food. And I was thinking, why is that? It's so strange Mm. because it's like, okay, I'm starting off with like this very farm-fresh, crisp salad. Yeah. Then I'm having a lobster roll. <laughs> Ooh. With yes. fries, with French fries. Okay. Um. Oh, no, wait. I'm having clam chowder. First, New England oh, clam chowder oh. with Tabasco in it. Okay. Then Ooh. I'm having a I lobster roll. I like how to tell
0: you you are with this. You are a woman of my own heart. Okay, go on. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's pathetic. But <laughs> a perfect... Main
1: style lobster roll with French fries. And then for mm. dessert, it's a chocolate lava cake with coconut <laughs> ice cream. Oh, but, my
0: gosh.
1: But the reason why I was thinking about this, why is this all like New England seaside? Because I think some of my best memories were like at the beach with my family growing up mm-hmm. and like going to the clam shacks. And, oh, and so I think what? those are my most joyful times, like at the beach
0: and that kind of, I guess, summertime in the Northeast, you know? That's that emotional aspect of food is that can connect us to these memories, to this joy that we have felt and that we can still feel. So I love that menu so much. (laughs) Thank you, Ellie, from the bottom of my heart. This was such a fun and illuminating conversation and I hope to have you back.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's delightful to talk with you and you do such a great job with all of the
0: work you do. And you inspire me all the time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If this work resonates with you in any way, you can support it by leaving a review or comment or sharing it with friends. Also, you can sign up for the newsletter, Mind, Body, Spirit, Food, and by becoming a paid member for just $5 a month, you help fund this entire project. Thank you so much to all of you who are already subscribed, especially to those paid subscribers. This work could not happen without you. I'm Nikki Sizemore, and as always, remember to nourish yourself with intention and love.